What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A-licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and today I've got a very special guest with me. My guest today is the legendary Raymond Verhein. Good morning, Raymond. How are you? Yes, I'm fine. Hello. Good morning. Brilliant. Um, Raymond, just for those guys who aren't familiar with who you are and what you've done, uh, would you mind just giving us a very brief background around what that looks like? Yeah, I, I originally started as a, uh, as a coach educator at uh, the Dutch FA in, uh, I think, 20 years ago. And, um, uh, and then being an assistant coach with the Dutch national team. And then uh, later when, uh, when some of the coaches that I work with with the Dutch national team uh, coached other countries and other clubs. I uh, I assisted them with, uh, so I think it has been uh, four World Cups and four Euros. And uh, I helped uh, coaches at uh, Barcelona and Chelsea and, and Manchester City. Um, and then at some stage, I decided to, uh, to develop my own independent coach education uh, structure or organization. And that had to do with the fact that um, when you when you are doing coach educate when you are educating people in the context of uh, of a football association, then there is so much politics and and, and other things going on that uh, sometimes uh, I was forced to uh, let somebody pass an exam because he had played one hundred game uh, one hundred games for the national team, and then people inside the FA did not want to have. Uh, the media backlash, for example. Uh, so I thought I, I really have to get out of here because uh, I'm not here to entertain people and to hand them uh, to hand them their coaching badges in advance. Um, so yeah, then around 2010, I decided to uh, to go independent, and um, yeah, and, and then things went quickly. I think we we have now uh, set up uh, infrastructures on all the continents. And um, 
of course, with, with the Corona situation, uh, we quickly had to shift, like many people, to, uh, to an online infrastructure. But uh, before that, for around 10 years, um, yeah, I have been traveling, I think, uh, 200, uh, 200 days a year to, to all the different continents to, uh, to deliver coach education. And, um, and like I said, now uh, in the last uh, one, one and a half years, we, uh, we made the transition to online. And, um, and just recently, uh, we, uh, we launched the uh, online uh, football fitness uh, periodization course. Uh, that is uh, one of uh, our recent uh, online courses. And um, yeah, I think and there's still a lot to come. And then, uh, and then maybe if, if things are totally normal again in the world, there will be a combination between online and physical courses. But for the time being, uh, our priority is now uh, the online courses. So in a nutshell, that is what I've been doing in the last uh, 20 years from, uh, from coaching and, and coach education. So um, yeah, I think that is, uh, that is a good overview. Fantastic. Thank you for that. And obviously you touched there, obviously, you know, you start your own coach education infrastructure um, and we're, I guess, going to discuss and go into a little bit of detail around that today um, on that most recent course that you've put together around the football fitness periodization. Would you mind just maybe explain a little bit from your perspective, what you consider that to uh, be and then how that then, where, I guess, where the inspiration, motivation came around to kind of founding that aspect of the coach education pathway for yourself? and how that then translates itself and then we can maybe kind of take it from there. Yeah, the, um, one of the things that, that, that I noticed uh, both from, from when I was coaching and also uh, in, in the coach education setting is that, um, that subjectivity is the norm in the football world. And this is something that we would never ever allow in serious professions. Uh, if, you, if you step into a plane, you don't want subjectivity to be the norm. Uh, if you are in the hospital uh, about to have heart surgery, you don't want subjectivity to be the norm. And if your army has to defend your country, you don't want subjectivity to be the norm. And, and I, I can go on forever uh, with, with, with mentioning examples. So um, in really serious professions, uh, especially with life and death, but but also in law, where when it's not always about life and death, it's it's about life, but not about life and death. Uh, in all those professions, we, if it is about us, we want objectivity and we want facts and we want justice. Um, so, if you compare that with the football world, and you see that in the football world, everybody is allowed to do whatever he wants. Everybody is allowed to say whatever he wants, as long as he wins. And whatever you do and whatever you say in combination with winning, then everybody says you're right. But then next week, you are doing exactly the same and you are saying exactly the same. But now you are losing 4-0 and now people say you're wrong and you might even lose your job. That's a very strange world. Yeah? And first of all, it's a very strange world. But secondly, nobody really seems to care, or at least nobody seems to know the answer to this problem. So either, either you say that in serious professions, you want objectivity, but then you say the subjectivity in the football world is okay because football is not serious. 
So then the fact that you don't think that football is serious is an argument for allowing subjectivity to be the norm. Or you say football is serious, although it's not a matter of life and death, but our players deserve the best possible coaching. So from that perspective, it is serious. But then we have to solve this, uh, this subjectivity problem. Uh, it's, it's one or the other. And let's say that we choose the latter. So we say football is not a matter of life and death. We are not curing cancer or we are not uh, solving uh, or, or protecting world peace. Uh, so you have to keep things in perspective. So although it is not a matter of life and death, still, like I said, our players deserve the best possible coaching. So from that perspective, it is still a serious profession. And then, similar to pilots, similar to surgeons, similar to lawyers and judges and, and, and Navy SEALs, etc., football coaches should coach based on objective knowledge and objective principles rather than the flavor of the month. And this is basically, in a nutshell, the mission of... Uh, Football coach evolution that that I uh, that I founded, and um, yeah, hopefully yeah, we can contribute to evolving the football world in general and coach education in particular to a more objective and reliable wavelength. Now, fantastic! I think you make some very good points there. Kind of just to build on that, then, from your perspective, um, what are some of the objective things that people need to just consider as being objective? Well, the most objective thing in our sport is uh, the game itself. Uh, because um, you can be a woman or a man, and you can be a child or an adult. You can be an amateur player or a professional player. Uh, you can come from uh, Asia or Africa or America or Europe or whatever. So despite the fact that there are many differences between players, and differences between coaches, the similarities are much bigger. Why? Because it doesn't matter who you are as a player or a coach, we are all playing and coaching the same sport. Yeah, it doesn't matter who you are, when you are playing football, you have to anticipate on exactly the same characteristics. So if you manage to objectively divine the characteristics of the sport, then you create a objective reference point that is the same for everybody. Yeah, so, uh, for example, if you are performing football actions or if you are coaching football actions, those, the characteristics of those football actions are the same for everybody. At the level of the what, in terms of what you are doing, how you do it, how you pass, or how you coach passing, or how you press, and how you coach pressing, that is the difference. But at the level of the what, so what we are doing, that is the same for everybody, because everybody is playing or coaching the same sport. And the, the differences between everybody is at the level of the how. And so first of all, it is very important for people to understand the difference between the what and the how. What is characteristics, is knowledge. That is what you apply and what you coach. 
how you do it, that is the responsibility of the coach. Because when you apply knowledge, then you have to anticipate the specific characteristics of your environment. And they are different compared to any other environment. So nobody can tell you how to coach. Mm. So coach educators should teach you what to coach. Sure. And on that and how to coach depends on your environment. Sure. Just exactly. So just on that note, then, are you saying that there's essentially only a finite amount of things that exist as the as as in line with the what? Exactly. Um, so then, and obviously the how is obviously then dependent on maybe the, the age and stage you're working with, or yep. the format of the game that you're working with, or how many times a week do you train? Okay. Do you have a full pitch available? Do you have half a pitch available? Because the problem is in coach education all around the world that coach educators are often telling coaches how to coach. But that is impossible because the coach educator doesn't know the exact environment of this coach back home. So the coach educator should give the coach objective tools, references, knowledge, principles. But the coach educator should stay away from the how because the coach educator doesn't know whether you are coaching women or men, children or adults, um, whether you are coaching amateur or professional, whether you are training two, three, four, five times a week, whether you are coaching in a hot environment or a cold environment, whether you are coaching or training on a full pitch or half a pitch or whatever pitch. You see, all these, all these external factors ultimately determine how you coach. Because as a coach, you can apply the exact same what in one million different hows because there are one million different situations. So that is why coach education is often frustrating for coaches. And that is why coach coaches often when they are doing a course, they don't take it seriously because the coach educator is telling them how to coach, but then the coach thinks about his situation back home. And then he thinks what the coach educator is saying right now is not possible in my environment. And then they switch off. And then they, they don't take the course seriously anymore. So then the only reason that is left why they are there is just to get their license so that they can move on, but it is not for them. It's not a learning environment anymore. So what should happen in coach education is that coach educators should coach about the what, and about the what you can be, you can be very strict yeah, because there are not 100 different what's. There is one what, and that is the game. We all coach the same game with the same characteristics. So if you divine those characteristics in an objective way there is only one what but then at the level of the how you should leave as a coach educator you should leave coaches free so as a result when coaches are doing their exams for a coaching course 20 coaches might get the same assignment so the same what so this is what i expect you to do so this is the objective, the intention. But then the 20 coaches might end up 
doing 20 different practical sessions based on the same what, but 20 different hows of that what. Mm. So 20 different subjective applications of the same assignment because all 20 are working back home in 20 different environments. And also coach educators, therefore, should understand the difference between the what and the how. Yeah, sure. And I, and I guess, you know, kind of on that, then kind of paint a bit of a background about what I do at the moment. So I'm currently working in the coach education space in, in, in the UK, uh, more specifically England, um, over the last couple of years. And that environment that you talked about in terms of the coaches, uh, it maybe not being so much a learning environment and we're getting told how to coach uh, is what I came through essentially when I first started coaching. Now, it's shifted a lot now in that we're no uh, certainly no longer maybe telling the coaches the what, but there is much more around supporting them with the hows. Uh, and the pathway has changed in that there's no no longer a, a final assessment at the end of the course, shall we say, but it's more we're actually going out into the environments for these coaches, looking at what they're doing. And there's still an element of subjectivity there in the sense that we get, we're allowing them to have the decision as to how they're going to work. But more importantly, challenging them around the why they're going to work in that way, um, which, if I'm not mistaken, is kind of where you're kind of leading to a little bit. And my personal, I guess, opinion is that it should be more about the what because I feel like because it's moved away from the what a little bit too much, in my opinion, they're lacking understanding of the what. So their game, as you know, which is objective, has now become distorted. Um, but I, you know, I agree there is a there is there is a finite amount of things that do take place in the game, and these are consistent regardless of the format you're working in, whether it be eleven v eleven, seven v seven, three v three, adults, kids, whatever that looks like. So I guess. Looking at it from that perspective, at what point do we start to maybe influence the how? Um, because the what is very important. And just to kind of tie into that as well, would you mind maybe just speaking from your perspective, how important that what is? Because my opinion is that a lot of coaches now, and I can only speak on the coaches that I've come across in the environments that I've observed, there seems to be a real lack of understanding of that what piece now. Yeah, I, I, th I think you, uh, what you say is spot on. So... Uh, a lot of federations all around the world and heads of co coach education, they at some stage recognized the problem that I just described. But what did they do? They went all the way to the other side of the spectrum. So now what they did is they decided to take the practical environment of coaches as a starting point, And then they started to uh, visit coaches in their environment or small groups were visiting each other in their own environment. And now the own environment is the starting point. But that means that you, as a coach educator, you don't understand what you're doing. And you have good intentions, but you, you don't see the bigger picture. Because you know what? Your practical environment is the subjective application of something. It is anticipating external factors based on something. So like you say, then the what disappears. So now they are not subjectively applying objective knowledge or objective references, but now 
they are subjectively applying their subjective past experiences in their own environment. So you get a subjective vicious circle. What should happen is this. Plenary, you educate coaches still about the objective what? You teach them about knowledge. Then you go to their environment and then you let them free to coach in terms of how. But then, and that was your last question, but when you visit coaches in their own environment, you ask them questions about why they do what they do. So you ask them to justify, substantiate their how. And the only way that you can substantiate your how is by using the what, referring back to the what. Because your environment is the subjective application of objective knowledge. So you are subjectively applying objective knowledge, the what. So then when you ask questions about that subjective application, the only way that you can justify your subjective application is by referring back to what you are applying, the objective knowledge. And therefore, the what knowledge is still the center point of education. And then you visit coaches to see, to let them free and apply it in their own environment to make it realistic. But that doesn't mean that their environment is the starting point. Their environment is a more realistic podium to subjectively apply what you have taught them rather than they subjectively applying it in a course environment where they are training, doing training sessions with other coaches. We've all been there. That's very unrealistic. So moving to their own environment is a very good step. The mistake that people have made is that they have taken now not the what as a starting point of education, but they have taken the own environment as a starting point of education. So now we have to solve that problem because in your own environment, if the emphasis is no longer in coach education on educating the what and knowledge and principles and references, then what are you gonna subjectively apply in your own environment? Your subjective experiences from the past in your environment. And, and a very simple way to use a metaphor in case people eh, still do not understand the essence of, of what I just said. So let me explain it in a, in a simple way with a metaphor. If you go back to 1970, so let's say around 50 years ago, and you think about the best coach in 1970, and you compare the best coach from around 50 years ago with the best coaches of today. What is the difference between those two? Experience or knowledge? What would you say? It'll be experience. No, it's knowledge. 
Well, I think it depends on the pathway they come through. I think the, 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 yeah, but you don't know, you don't know how much experience the coach in 1970 has. Maybe the coach in 1970 is a 72-year-old coach mm. with 50 plus years of experience in sure. coaching, which is more than Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, and uh, Mourinho, and uh, whoever. Sure, but so maybe the experience of the coach 50 years ago is more than the coach today, the top coach today. But the problem is that even if the coach 50 years ago has more experience, he has more experience in terms of subjectively applying sure. what was possible to know 50 years ago. Right. Today, coaches might have more or less experience, but that is irrelevant. They have more or less experience with subjectively applying more knowledge than 50 years ago. Right. Because today we know more, we have more knowledge 50 years right now compared to 50 years ago. So you see that it doesn't matter how much experience you have, yeah. more or less. It's about the knowledge. Yeah, we today are subjectively applying knowledge yeah. that was not possible to know 50 years ago. So the way our sport has evolved in 50 years is based on knowledge. Because like I said, maybe the coach in 1970 is a 72-year-old person with twice as much experience in coaching compared mm. to Pep Guardiola. Because Pep Guardiola is only coaching for 15, 20 years now. Mm. I think it's even less. So, you see? So, the parameter experience yeah, is maybe 50 years ago was bigger. There was more experience. But... Although the coach 50 years ago has more experience in coaching than Pep Guardiola, just imagine that you are standing at the sideline in 1970. Yeah, and you are observing the training session of that 72-year-old coach with 50 years of experience. And then you are standing at the sideline with a coaching session by Pep Guardiola, who only has 15 years of experience. What, what would be the difference, you think? Which one would be more detailed and more objective? And which one would be more superficial and arbitrary? What would you say? Well, definitely, I think the older coach would have more, uh, more object objectivity around it because there's, I guess there was less influences potentially back then around how it should be done, but more so we need to make sure that we're working on these things. These, are th these things are vital. So, and, and I it kind of just makes me think sometimes because when I'm now working in a coach education space myself, I do or constantly refer, well, we, everything should be based around these principles of play. We have to focus the game around that. The technical components and the principles of play are key. And if you're not working on those, for me, what are you doing? It has mm -hmm. to link into those things. No matter what you're working on, what age group you're working on, what stage they're, they're working at, whether they're grassroots, whether they're in the, the academy program or whether they even... First team footballers, if you're if the work that you're delivering is not built around principles of play 
and technical components, it doesn't make sense to me. And then the question to you is, in which period of time is there more knowledge about methodology, today or 50 years ago? Definitely today. It's, yeah. it's much more now telling us about, right, we should maybe approach this player in this way and talk about this player in this way. I think it's gone, it, it kind of comes back to what you said, it's, it's moved along the spectrum around the what to more the how and the why a little bit. But I think it's moved so far down that end of the spectrum that actually this has just been forgotten. And when I say, oh, but we want to make it fun, we want to do this, we want to do that, that's great. But you still need to do all this fun stuff, all this learning stuff, all this uh, enjoying and making it safe and all of that stuff's fantastic. But it's got to be built on this. Yeah, now I understand because you said uh, the 50, the coach 50 years ago, uh, more objective, etc. So, and I didn't want to step in immediately. So I let you finish what you said, but now I understand why you said that. Don't confuse two, two different discussions in our conversation. I am now comparing top coaches. And what, what you just did is you were putting also our previous discussion about coach education into the equation. So let, let's keep those two separated or separate. So when I am comparing the, the best coach today and the best coach 50 years ago, so forget about our discussion about coach education. The best coach today has more knowledge, maybe less experience because Guardiola maybe or somebody else is coaching less years so far, but he has more knowledge sure. because we know more today compared to 50 years ago and methodology, but also periodization and, and all the other things. All that knowledge was not available 20 or 50 years ago. So 50 years ago, the coach might have 50 years of experience, but he has 50 years of experience applying things that they knew 50 years ago. But that is only a little bit compared to what we know today. So Guardiola has less experience, but he has less experience in applying more knowledge methodology, periodization, tactical principles, whatever. Sure. So with that metaphor, you can prove that experience is not the decisive parameter, but how much knowledge is available. Sure. Okay, so that is that is one comparison, just to prove my point. And based on this metaphor and this comparison between 50 years ago and now, I can use that metaphor to prove that it is about um, that it is first of all about knowledge yeah. and then applying that knowledge mm. uh, because experience is not irrelevant, but it is only the second thing. Of course. So with that metaphor, I can prove that. And now let's go back to coach education, mm. our previous discussion. So the what is the difference between Guardiola and a coach 50 years ago? The knowledge. And what did we discuss in a coach education uh, context? that we move further and further away from the what. Yeah. So the one thing that makes the difference between a coach, the top coach 50 years ago and Guardiola today, the one thing that makes the difference between those two is less and less dominant in coach education. Yeah. Now, I rest my case. I can't explain it in a more simple way than, uh, than this. And yeah, and, and now I go further back. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. In our conversation, that is why I decided to, uh, to start the Football Coach Evolution uh, organization. To go back to, on the one hand, educating coaches based on objective references and objective knowledge. Yeah. yeah. So first educate them about the what. Mm-hmm. And then when they apply it, let them free and m- let them take ownership of their how. Yes. And then my role as a coach educator is not to tell them how to do things, but to ask them questions. Sure. Why did you choose this how? Yes. And then they have to justify that applying this knowledge given these uh, external factors, if that interacts, then this how is the best possible way to apply this knowledge in this environment. And if the coach can uh, objectively and logically justify why he chose what he chose, pass. And maybe he has done it in a totally different way than the coach educator would do. But if the coach can logically justify, so he doesn't say, yeah, it, it feels good, or yeah, I always do it like that, or but that, because then you are subjectively justifying your choice. Yeah. But if you can objectively justify your choice by referring back to the references and the principles, then it doesn't. It is totally irrelevant that the coach educator would do it in a different way, because it is not about the coach educator. It is about the coach who is applying the objective what in a subjective way, and he can substantiate it. He can objectively justify it. Yeah. Okay. Pass. And uh, and that is and that is how coach education should be. All around the world but that means that you need very very good coach educators who have a, a very deep understanding about the what of football yes and they must be so calm and so good that they are able to let coaches free to do it their way and then ask the right questions, make coaches justify their choices. Yeah. Now, and as you probably know, those coach educators are very rare. Mm. I, I totally agree with everything you just said there in the sense that their coach education or coach educators rather are having to it's kind of like the experience that you touched on right at the start is in the past there was almost this we've got to sign a certain amount of people off because it's what we've been told to do there's an expectation that um, because someone's played at a certain amount or someone's done this or there's 
you know, we, I guess we, we don't really know, but there must be some quotas somewhere. So we need to get through a number of people in this qualification to make sure that it doesn't look like our coach education system is failing them um, or is not effective enough. Um, and the what is great, but I think also equally within that is the, the ability to tr- transmit the what or transfer the what to the learner. So I guess from that perspective, it's kind of where you're touching on maybe that there is few and far between in terms of the coach educators that actually have the ability to do that. So I guess from a coach education perspective, what are some of the key fundamentals that, you know, someone like myself or other people that might be coach educators watching and listening to this conversation would need to consider, uh, I guess, having as a, a framework to kind of work from or characteristics to kind of build on, if that makes sense. Yeah, let, let me let me give an let me give an uh, a, a practical example of uh, of an objective reference. Um, football football actions are interactions with the football environment. That, that's just a matter of fact. Uh, I'm a, I am standing on the pitch, and I am surrounded by the football context. So let's call that the football surrounding or the the football environment. And when I'm playing football, I am interacting with that football environment. I'm interacting with the ball, teammates, opponents, the pitch, the lines, the goals, etc. So I am interacting with the football surrounding. And those football interactions, so football actions, is what I perform as an individual. Football interactions. Football actions. And that is not somebody's opinion. That is just what it is. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use deductive thinking. So I take an objective starting point, And then I say, okay, if A, then B. If B, then C. If C, then D. And then layer after layer, I'm going to develop a objective foundation that you can trust. Yes. That is true for everybody players, coaches. Okay, this football interaction, for example, passing or controlling the ball or pressing. Let, let's let's define that in, in more detail. The first thing I'm doing when I'm interacting with my football environment, with my football surrounding, is communication. So I am communicating with my environment. I am sending information and I'm receiving information. So communication is of the highest order. It is chronologically the first thing that you do within a football interaction. And sometimes people say, no, it is perception. No, perception does take place, but it is perception as an integral part of communication. So perception is not of the highest order. Perception is an integral part of communication. Uh, Let me give an example. I am am a defending uh, defensive midfield player. And I get the ball from the left, from the left winger, passes the ball back to me. I open to the other side. And then I am perceiving that the right winger is asking for the ball. So perception does take place. I am perceiving the right winger. And then I decide to pass the ball to the right winger. So now you might say, hey, perception is of the highest order. 
But you know what? Just imagine that I had got the ball from the left winger and instead of opening to the other side, I would have opened to the side where the ball came from. So I would go to the left side again. Do you think the right winger would have asked for the ball? No. No, no because I maybe the, le the left winger would ask for the ball again to get the ball back from me. Because I get the ball from the left winger and instead of opening to the right, yeah, I, I turn even more to the left mm. and I go to the left where the ball came from. Mm. No way that the right winger is going to ask for the ball because I am not able to pass the ball to him. Sure. So what can I prove with this simple example? When I open to the right side, I am perceiving something that I provoked myself by opening to the right side. So I am opening to the right side. So now I am sending information to the right winger. So the right winger is perceiving me opening to his side. Then he is asking for the ball. I am perceiving him asking for the ball. And I pass the ball to him. And so I am perceiving him and he is perceiving me. And this now it's two-way traffic. Yeah, perception is one-way traffic. I perceive something that is one-way traffic. But if I open up to the right side, I am perceiving something that I triggered myself in the first place. So now it's two-way traffic. And two-way traffic is what you call communication. And maybe you are familiar with the communicating vessels. Yeah, that is two-way traffic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, so, yes, perception does take place, but it is perception as an integral part of communication. So perception, one-way traffic, as an integral part of two-way traffic. Yeah. So that is how you can prove that communication is of the highest order and perception is an integral part of that. So people who say perception is of the highest order make a philosophical mistake. For Usain Bolt, perception is of the highest order because Usain Bolt is in an individual sport. He was sitting in his starting block and he could not influence the starting signal. He was passively waiting to perceive the starting signal. So with Usain Bolt, perception is of the highest order because it is an individual sport where it is one-way traffic. In football, it is a team sport, so it is two-way traffic, and then communication is of the highest order. No. no okay, okay, and then based on, based on that communication, that exchange of information, you make a decision, and then you execute that decision. Yeah. And making a decision and executing a decision are also two different things. Yeah. Because I might decide to pass the ball to your right foot, but that doesn't mean that the ball ends up on your right foot. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the ball ends up on your left foot. Sure. That means that decision-making and the execution of decisions are two different things. Yeah, no, definitely. Nothing. So communication, decision, and execution is what you call a football interaction. Okay. And that is an example of a objective reference that is true for every single player 
and also for every single coach. No, and I think it's very interesting that you make that point. And something that I use, in, I guess, in my coaching is the idea of traffic lights. So you've got the red light and then the green light moments. So, for instance, that one that you talked about, you gave the example of, right, for the right back or the right midfielder, because the, the, mid, the central midfielder hasn't opened up, it's a red light moment. Don't go for that because it's, it's, it's not likely to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's now opened up, there's your green light moment. As you start to see it there, green light, off you go. And I think that that, that part is key. So I guess you know, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of the time and obviously get into um, the football periodization stuff. Um, so I, I don't know if you want to kind of just maybe explain a little bit more into that and around what that is and we can kind of just go into Yeah, that. The, the thing is that um, basically what I just described is is the football interaction in, in general. Yeah. Um, and like I said, Usain Bolt only had to perform one action and then he was finished. Right. But in football, you have to make a perform a second action and a third and a fourth and a fifth one and maintain the quality yeah, because you can perform many actions. But if the quality drops, yeah, then it doesn't matter how many actions you perform. So what football players must be able to do is they must be able, first of all, in the first half, interact with the football environment as frequently as possible. So communicate, make decisions and execute decisions or football actions as frequently as possible to play with a higher tempo. You want to be able to perform your playing style, whatever your playing style is, with a higher tempo. That means that you must be able to perform more football actions per minute. So that is one football fitness characteristic, more football actions per minute. So more interactions with your environment in a certain period of time. And then in the second half, what players want is they want to maintain the quality of the interactions with the environment. So they want to maintain good passing, yeah, 100% quality passing. They want to maintain good controlling of the ball, good pressing. So they want to maintain good football actions. So they want to maintain the quality, but they also want to maintain the quantity of the action, the frequency. So they want to maintain many football actions per minute. And those three more football actions per minute to play with a higher tempo in the first half and maintain good football actions and maintain many football actions in the second half to be able to maintain this high tempo for 90 minutes. Those three are the three football fitness characteristics. And basically what I have now done is I have objectively defined football fitness in football action language. And what is the consequence of this football fitness definition? That you can now check whether something is football fitness training or outside the definition of football fitness training. So, for example, if players are running around the pitch, or they are sprinting between cones, 
or they are running uphill. There are still people in the football world who honestly think that this is football fitness training. But now with this definition of football fitness, you can prove without you making use of opinions, you can objectively prove that running around the pitch is not football fitness training because you are not interacting with the football environment. You are still performing actions because when you are running around the pitch, you are still interacting with the environment. The only problem is it's not a football environment. It is just a general environment because you can run on the beach. I can even run on the roof of my house. In other words, the context doesn't matter for me to run. So it is an interaction. I am interacting with the ground, for example, when I'm running. But it is a basic action. It is not a football action, not a football interaction. It is a basic action. So what you can prove with this is that when you are training fitness outside the football context, you are not developing football fitness. You are developing basic action fitness. And yes, there will be progress. Yes, there will be progress. Players will develop basic action fitness. Yeah. And yes, there will be transfer because running is an integral part of a football action. Of course. Because running is sometimes the execution of a decision within a football action. So there will be transfer from basic action fitness do football action fitness. So, But the question now is, what is now the best way to develop football fitness? Sure. Basic action fitness, and then hoping for a transfer to football action fitness, okay. or train football actions, and now you don't have to hope for a transfer. There will be a transfer, because you are training football interactions. And this is just one practical example of if you define objective references, you can create much more clarity in the football world and you can develop more objective and reliable coaching. And uh, you mentioned already the, the online football fitness course that we have launched. In this course, we are going to introduce all kinds of objective football fitness references Mm. and also football fitness exercises Mm. and football fitness training methods and periodization principles that can guide the application of all those methods and and exercises. Mm. And there will be specific attention for off-season periodization, pre-season periodization, and in-season periodization. Mm. Because often coaches give their players training programs, individual training programs, again, with good intentions to stay fit in the off-season. But now the question is, 
although players are forced to do on their own basic actions, because when you are alone, you cannot interact with the football environment. Sure. So you cannot train football interactions. So you have no other choice than to do basic action fitness. But then how can you make this training program in the off season look exactly the same as the preseason periodization, except for the basic actions? And so that is, uh, I, I'm going to give coaches uh, tools yeah, so I guess for, for off season and, and preseason. And the other thing is that I'm going to visualize those yeah. with uh, training session clips to show and to prove which oh, exercises wow. are best to overload which football fitness characteristic. And the last thing I would like to say is that I'm also going to use real-life case studies mm. from a youth academy perspective, so youth for youth football coaches, and also for professional coaches and first-team coaches. I'm going to use the, the real-life case study of the Ajax team that, that reached the Europa League final in 2017. And I'm going to share with, with everybody the planning from day to day because they had to play so many midweek games that it was total chaos yeah. also with travel and, and, and etc and there will be special attention also for how can I keep my substitute players fit because that's very difficult when there is chaos yeah. and there is many games and also when should I plan attacking training? And when should I plan overloading defending within my playing style? Because tactical principles in relation to defending are sometimes more demanding because you, you have to make more action per minute compared to tactical principles when you are developing attacking. So what I'm going to show in this case study when should you plan overloading defending tactical principles? When should I plan overloading attacking principles? Match day minus one, match day minus two, uh, match day plus three. And if I plan defending, should the volume be the same as when I overload attacking? And all these complex decisions, I'm going to show in this... Uh, in this real life uh, case study so that youth coaches, amateur coaches and professional coaches all will get real life examples of how you can apply the references and the principles and the exercises that I, uh, that I teach in the first half of, uh, of this course. Mm. And just on a, fi a final note then, you know, I'm conscious of your time as well. For anyone that might be interested in maybe going into a little bit more detail around what we've discussed today and find a little bit more about the courses, is there somewhere they can get in touch with you to do that? Yeah, the easiest thing to do is to visit our website. That is uh, fcevolution.com. So football coach evolution. So fcevolution.com. And on that core, on that website, they can find all the, all the information on this uh, football fitness online course as well as, uh, for example, my new book, Football Coaching Theory, 
where I describe uh, all the things that we have discussed uh, from a objective and, and philosophical point of view uh, previously in our conversation. So our website, fcevolution.com, is, uh, is probably the best thing uh, to visit to, uh, to find out more. Fantastic. And just one final question for you then, Raymond. You know, obviously now that you've, you know, we're sitting here having this conversation, you've made yourself part of the coaches network. What's one message that you'd want to leave with all the listeners and viewers? Um, the number one thing is that when you are a coach, that coaching is only a tool, and that in football it is not about you, although we all enjoy coaching a lot. But football is a player sport. And don't consciously or unconsciously act and behave as if football is about you as a coach. Yeah? Just remember when you were a player and how all these coaches behaved and they acted sometimes as if they were the center point of the world. And so when you are a coach, you have to be very conscious of the fact that it is a player sport and it is about the players even more when you are a youth coach because then you are when you work with adults you try to make them perform at their 100% every week but when you are a youth coach you are helping players to improve increase their 100% and that's a very responsible job and these these players, like I mentioned before, they deserve the best coaches. And everybody who used to be a player, try to think back about all the coaches that you had. Did you have all top coaches? Or did it happen once in a while, or maybe more than once in a while, that you had a coach who was a nice human being, but from a coach point of view, you sometimes wonder what he was talking about and why you had to do certain exercises. And so we all know how that feels as a player, that you have a coach who is a very nice human being, but from a coach perspective, from, from, from the point of view of coaching, he is not capable or competent. And you cannot change the past. So we cannot change all the things that we had to experience when we were players. But what we can do is that we can try to avoid or at least reduce that our players go through those experiences that we went through when we were players. And the number one thing to do that, to avoid or reduce the chance that our players look at us thinking, what is he talking about or what is he doing? The number one way to do that is stop downloading the flavor of the month in your brain. Stop copying the champion. Because also online, there is an enormous amount of information available, but we all know that the majority of information on the internet is put there with good intentions, but it is very arbitrary. It is very subjective. 
It is not substantiated. So try to avoid that you are polluting your brain with subjective, arbitrary, random information that is not proven, not substantiated. Only try to download information in your memory, in your brain, that is proven, that is explained in an objective and logical way so that you can trust it. And the more objective the references in your brain and the more references you have in your brain, first of all, the bigger the chance that you deliver high quality exercises, high quality sessions with your players. And if your players then still ask questions, you now can explain why you do what you do in an objective and logical way. And then your players will look at you because they listen at an objective and logical explanation rather than a subjective arbitrary explanation. Through the eyes of your players, you now look like a coach who knows what he's talking about because in the ears of the play, it sounds objective and logical. So now your players will trust you. They are more perceptive to the things you do. And as a result, they will go 100% even more and more often. And as a result, these players have a bigger chance of uh, fulfilling their dream, whatever their dream is. So objective knowledge rather than subjective pollution in your brain and not for you but for your players fantastic look raymond thank you very much for that you know very insightful conversation i'm sure there'll be loads of listeners and viewers that will uh, i guess look to come over to check this stuff stuff out in terms of the course and uh, to find out a little bit more about the work that you've done in the past i just want to thank you again for your time this morning um and hope you have a great day and take care yeah you're welcome see you later bye-bye there you have it guys another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys take care What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.